Hey everyone, it's Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined. I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. And we ended that weekend with a milestone change here in the state of Michigan. Yesterday, December 1st, was the first day that recreational marijuana is officially legal here in the state of Michigan. Of course, we voted in 2018 to remove the ban on recreational marijuana. We have had medical marijuana available in this state for many years now. Now, if you just enjoy smoking pot, you have the same privileges as those who need marijuana for their medical lives. Um, uh, that's It's been more than a year, of course, since we decided that. And that year has been filled with a lot of debate about how we do this. What are the rules? What will the sales look like? Who's going to be selling products? Who's eligible to buy? And what happens going forward? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. Now that marijuana is legal for recreational use in the state of Michigan, what will that look like for people who really want to enjoy that uh, that drug or participate in that industry. We want to hear from you. Are you planning to take part in this new legal marijuana market in Michigan, either as a buyer or are you someone who wants to sell? What questions do you have about what's going to work? And what do you think about the idea of marijuana businesses opening up in your community, would you support that? We had a lot of issues on the lo- local elections this year that had to do with whether people could sell recreational pot in one jurisdiction or another. We saw a lot of municipalities say, no, we don't want that here. It may be legal statewide, but we don't want that to be part of our community. Maybe you're somebody who supports the idea of legal marijuana and you think it should be available, but maybe you don't want these businesses in your city or town. We definitely want to hear from you if you feel that way. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us up first to talk about what is going on with recreational pot is Dustin Walsh, who covers the economic issues for Cranes Detroit Business and has been writing about recreational pot uh, for a long time. Dustin Walsh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Yes. Uh, so if adults want to go and buy marijuana today, where can they go and what will they see when they go to these stores? Uh, well, they can only go to the home of the Hash Bash. Uh, they can only go to Ann Arbor. There's three stores currently open in Ann Arbor. Others are expected to come online throughout the state uh, this week. Uh, but as of now, it's just Ann Arbor and those three stores. And they can probably come to expect to see lines. Lines? It, lines. <laughs> Lots lines of people. Were, lines were very long yesterday. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the patchwork that I think we are looking at in terms of the way that this is available to people in the state of Michigan. It has been legal for many months. Uh, What we're experiencing now is the onset of retail sales. But even that change is not universal. It's not that everybody who had a medical marijuana license now has a license to sell recreational pot. As I was pointing out in the intro, lots of municipalities have decided they don't want these businesses in their in their communities, uh, 
what what does that sort of portend about how this is going to work? If we don't have that kind of consistent approach to this that we've seen in other states, is it going to sort of manifest itself really differently here? Um, I mean, sort of. So so the big issue is that the state is part of the is part of the law wanted to give all municipalities control. So control over whether they allow it, where they allow it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what that has led to is a process that, um, basically we're leaving it up to local municipalities, local governments. They have been very slow to understand what they can do, where they want it. They want to wait. They're, most of them, 80% of all municipalities in the state of Michigan have said no. They've opted out. Um, that's not permanent. They can change their mind at any time. But most of them are kind of looking to their neighbors, right? Okay, well, Novi may have opted out, so maybe Northville should opt out. And they're all kind of taking this wait-and-see approach. So what that's left is... Um, basically demand without supply. Uh, so so it's been a very, you know, as we said or just a minute ago, there were very massive lines, 500 deep in many cases at the three stores in Ann Arbor because there's just not too many. I always kind of liken it to um, uh, 20 years ago when every parent wanted to get out and go buy a Furby for their kid. Um, <laughs> it, it's going to be the people that are nuanced and understand where to go and, and, and to try to find the product thus far. Yeah. Um, Give us an overview of where the state is right now and where regulation is in terms of making this a universal change, making this the kind of thing that everybody kind of experiences the same way. Are there, are we still waiting for state officials to decide some things or are we just waiting for some things to take effect? Yes. So the state pushed up. They originally were shooting for early next year for, for uh, full adult recreational sales. Um, they decided because the, the vote. I think they were feeling some pressure because the voters voted on it obviously last November to up it. So they they changed it to November first. But they started accepting applications for recreational sales uh, for retail outlets and provisioning centers, etc., on November first. So obviously there's been a dirge of applications that came through. They tried to get as many as they could, but obviously that takes a lot of time to run background checks. It's a very arduous process. Um, the, rec- the the medical shops are the ones that were allowed to sell first because they had first come first serve. Uh, they could put in their applications. They had already been through the state process, so their systems go back or their applications go much quicker. Um, but the reality is, we still don't have a lot of product. The supply chain isn't really there to support going to full rec. Um, so it's been a very very slow rollout. And I think from the state perspective, they view that as just okay. Uh, but the issue is that the supply is not there for the demand. Um, and so we're left waiting, and and people are also left waiting, going, "Where's my nearest retail outlet? Where can I go?" Um, you know, some people drove from from all over the state to go to Ann Arbor yesterday. Um, they might not have access to a shop anytime soon. So, so talk about that supply bottleneck. What what is that about? Well, so so there's it, it takes time to you know I mean I don't I, I don't know the exact specifics on months, but it takes a lot of time, right? It's a it's a crop. Right, so it takes time to grow that crop, to cultivate that crop, to process that crop, and then oh, on top of it, you're you're talking about a system that just went live a couple months ago. Those products aren't available yet. So if you don't, if you're a, a grower or a provisioner and you don't have the the crop available, you you, you know, I mean, because you just planted it, you you're not going to get the supply that you need uh, to meet the demand. And and because we think the demand will be so much more. Than it was before. It's just it's kind of a delay. In other words, it's a it's a large delay. And and as as I pointed out in, in this week's issue too, is that you know it, what that does is it sustains the black market, right? Because are you going to drive an hour and a half, or are you going to go to Bob, your friendly dealer down the street? 
um, readily available uh, recreational marijuana is the best thing we can do for, for a regulated market. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dustin Walsh. He covers economic issues for Crane's Detroit business. We're talking about the beginning of retail sales for recreational marijuana here in the state of Michigan. Yesterday was the first day that that was available, December 1st. Uh, as we go forward, what will that look like? Are you somebody who is planning to take part in the new legal marijuana market here in Michigan? Are you a buyer? Are you a grower? Are you someone who hopes to be able to sell recreational marijuana? Uh, tell us what questions you have about how that is all going to work. What do you think about the idea of marijuana businesses opening, for instance, in your community? Are you someone who lives in a community that had to vote on whether to allow marijuana businesses in your community this fall. Most of those communities said no. They said they did not want those businesses to be part of their municipalities. Um, maybe you're somebody who supports the idea of legal marijuana, but you don't want it in your community. We would especially love to hear from you if that's the case. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you in. Let's go to Annette in West Bloomfield. Annette, welcome Hello, to the show. Thank you for taking my call. I was sure. wondering if you can answer the question. Is there going to be a sign or any kind of identification of this may be harmful to your unborn child or if you're breastfeeding? I am a neonatal nurse, and it is important to know harmful effects, too. Hmm. Uh, Annette, great question. Uh, Dustin, normally, and and I I think this gets to a great point, so... With a substance like alcohol, for instance, it is regulated at the state level, but also heavily regulated at the federal level. And there are things like warning labels that have to attend bottles of of liquor that uh, that are you know required uh, of the makers. We still have a real mismatch here when it comes to marijuana. States are saying they want it to be legal, but the federal government still says. No way. This is a, a drug that cannot be sold uh, at, a, at a retail level, and you're not even supposed to, to indulge in those drugs. So that raises a question, I think, along the lines of what Annette is saying, is how regulated will this be, and will it, will it include things like medical warnings about the use of these substances, for instance, like she said, when you're pregnant or, or breastfeeding? Yeah, that's right. Uh, obviously, yes, they're not they're not an FDA uh, approved. You're not going to see a Surgeon General's warning from from the United States government on them. Uh, there are uh, there are label requirements. I don't know if they specify about the ingestion harmful to 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 women that may be pregnant. Um, but there are other li- uh, warnings on it. Uh, the state is now requiring for all of the vape cartridges; they all now have to be uh, tested um, so that the, they can kind of handle this lung disease that's going around mostly on the black market. But, uh, the state wants to make sure that all the legal market ones are also on the up and up. Um, so they're going to list ingredients, right? So what's the ingredient? What's the, what's the inactive ingredients? They want everyone to be as educated as they can. Uh, I assume there is some sort of label that, that, you know, talks about intoxication, but I do not know that it's obviously not through the FDA, um, whether it's through the state. I, I haven't actually checked the labels to see that I should do that. Hmm. Uh, and do we, expect that over time 
the state will respond to the way in which this is being used or the way in which people are buying or using and maybe come up with other regulations. Here, I guess I'm thinking about driving. Sure. We saw in the news this morning uh, a story about somebody who was reportedly under the influence of marijuana driving yesterday and ran into a state trooper. They're talking about that person, of course, being in trouble because he was in an accident. But right now, there's not a whole lot of uh, protocol, I suppose, and that, that would allow you to determine if somebody's intoxicated in that way behind the wheel, other than a blood test, which you couldn't do on a traffic stop. Uh, I, it seems like this is the kind of thing that's going to challenge us over and over again to be creative, I guess, in terms of the way that we try to keep people safe, even as they do this. Right. And I think that's something we've seen play out in other states. Obviously, this isn't like people just today started smoking pot, right? I mean, they've been doing it illegally for <laughs> right. uh, for generations. Um, so those issues have always existed. We obviously, they're now much more in our face because we view it as a regulated market. Um, but we have seen in other states where they've had to up um, enforcement. Uh, and, and right now it's been a weird scenario because in Michigan, we've kind of lived in this gray area, right? Like we legalized usage, but you couldn't legally buy it through the through any sort of regulated market. Um, so we're sort of rewarding uh, people that sold and consumed on the black market for, for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to see enforcement. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Lieutenant Sh- Michael Shaw at the Michigan State Police. Uh, he, he referenced Oregon, which he says for every dollar they bring in tax dollars, they spend $4 uh, toward enforcement, toward regulating this market, which is beyond just traffic stops and things like that. It's uh, trying to take other black market operations off. Um, but yeah, there's obviously going to be an adjustment period. Uh, I think the state is well aware that, uh, you know, we talked to the Michigan Regulatory Agency. I talk to them quite often. They're well aware that that these things are fluid and they'll be changing. Um, and then I, I do expect that we'll see some sort of, uh, uh, I, I'm guessing, some sort of marketing campaign that, mm-hmm. that that talks about enforcement as these things come in and as tax dollars go in and they're, and they're, they're directed to where they should go. Also, uh, give us an idea of what people who hope to open these businesses are saying about the current process to get a license. I think a lot of people, when we voted for this in 2018, kind of assumed that those people who have medical marijuana licenses would be the likely sellers of recreational marijuana. That's not a foregone conclusion, but I would imagine that those are among the first people to try to apply and and get that license. But what are they saying about the difficulty of applying for this license, which is really different than the medical license and sort of how that all goes. Right. Well, it's not, it's not radically different. So if you if, a lot of what happened was people were getting in the, the door with the medical in the last year or two, knowing that obviously recreational sales are coming. Um, so that process makes it easier. So once, you, once you've entered in and you have a medicinal license to, to sell uh, or grow, you can kind of now slide to the top of the list uh, and get your approval done quicker because you've already been approved. The background checks. I mean, these are these are very rigorous background checks, FBI background checks. Um, that has always been the expense has been the biggest issue, right? I mean, you're talking sixty six thousand dollars a license. Mm-hmm. You're talking investigative fees. You're talking minimum uh, uh, amounts of investment that you need to apply for a license. Uh, it's really the cost that has been the hard thing, especially for the smaller um, medicinal shops, because uh, a lot of the product they're getting is from caregivers because the state allowed. Uh, made an emergency order and allowed caregivers to supply the medicinal shops. So some of the smaller ones, yeah, it's going to be a struggle because it's a massive ramp up of cost. 
Um, and so they're going to struggle to 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 do that. Where these some of these larger companies that have come in, uh, particularly money from Canada, money from Colorado, money from 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 California, uh, that have stepped in and just have a a, a larger pocket to play with, um, can get through this process and basically get operational quicker, mm-hmm. which puts these smaller medicinal shops at a disadvantage just from a pure economic standpoint. Right. What about the opportunity for people who were not part of the medical marijuana licensing? If you're somebody who just figures this is a great economic opportunity, how likely is it that we'll see people able to to do that? You talked about some of the financial barriers. Uh, is this going to help local business entrepreneurial minded uh, folks? Uh, I mean, to do well, it depends. It's just like every entrepreneur drive, right? It's going to take how much how much uh, pain you're with, willing to withstand, and how much money you can get access to. But there also is equity, uh, social equity program the state launched, um, which is allowing people that have been negatively impacted. Um, the idea is is for for minorities, particularly Black Americans, to to participate in this space. Um, that allows them to kind of vertically integrate, to be able to grow and sell at a much smaller level. Um, those programs haven't, it hasn't really taken hold yet. The, that's why the city of Detroit actually opted out until March, um, is they want their social equity program to get off the ground first before they, um, l- allow, you know, the big money retailers, quote unquote, to, to enter the city. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. I mean, these are, these are questions that don't have answers yet. Mostly, uh, will there be opportunity for people? I would think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, market economics are going to play a, a key factor in this and some of these larger, uh, large, largest uh, businesses that are established and have lots of funding are going to be able to squeeze mom and pops as they have been for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Also, give us an idea of how this might be affecting employers, especially when it comes to the question of drug testing. Of course, some employers are are under federal kinds of rules in mm-hmm. ways that others are not. I would imagine this looks really different for them than it does for everybody else. But every employer really, I think, faces a new kind of at least reckoning with the idea that recreational marijuana is legal. Right. And this has been this has been an issue since since medicinal marijuana went into effect. Right. Uh, it was relatively low barrier to 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 get a card. Um, and the issue really, I don't think employers generally don't care. Right. They want a safe workplace. So that's it's not really any different from alcohol. Right. Alcohol. You, you, but the issue is the science. Um, so you, you test for, you know, you, they do a hair test or they do a pee test, whatever it is. Um, it, it tells you whether you've used marijuana, not whether you're currently under the influence. That's the part that, that employers really struggle with. So a lot of employers have kind of either maintained the pre-employment screening where they test. And if you've, you've tested positive, they won't hire you. Some have changed and said, okay, we'll hire you. But if one mistake happens, uh, you're gone. Do you really want that? And others are trying to just get away from it, just get away from testing altogether. Um, but eventually the, the question will be answered. The science is, is advancing. Um, soon enough, we'll be able to give people a, a test and they'll be able to go, okay, you're currently under the influence of marijuana. How long that takes, we don't know. Um, but I think once that question is answered, the employers then won't, won't care anymore. It'll just be like alcohol, right? Like, you, you know, it's part of the rule book. You can't be drunk on the job, et cetera. You can't be high on the job. <laughs> um, right now, they're struggling to get that through to employees. Um, depending on what kind of employment, uh, what kind of a job it is, um, you can't be high. Uh, but you know, it also depends on what you're doing. Lar- la- largely, that's for things that are safety related, right? Um, walk into a room of coders, I guarantee every single one of them is high. Uh, go into a, 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 an office in do- or an industrial park where people are m- using high lows and heavy equipment. Um, let's hope they're not. They should not be. That's right. I also wonder if you can tell us before you go. What you expect to sort of see going forward in terms of pratfalls, in terms of opportunity, 
The other states that have done this have had a little bit of both, right? Colorado is awash in tax dollars, for instance, Mm -hmm. from the sale of recreational marijuana. They've also had some problems with people not really understanding, for instance, how much marijuana is in some products. So edibles, for instance, have been causing lots of trouble in emergency rooms there. I wonder what you think will unfold here and whether it will look like what we've seen in some of those other states or maybe be different. Right. I, I don't think we'll be California. Like California supplied about 70% of the, the illegal market. So so what happened in California, they're still a supply state. So they have, uh, they have more marijuana than they can possibly sell in their own state. That's a massive problem. So what if you're making marijuana, what do you do? Well, you, you ship it over to Utah, you ship it east. Um, Michigan could potentially be a supply state, and that's a problem with the black market. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see that happening because the, the rollout has been so slow. We're going to actually, I think the future is shortages. We're going to have lots of product shortages until the supply chain gets up. Uh, marijuana is already at $4,500 a pound on the legal market. That's a problem because the black market, it's, it's, it's much less. It's less than $3,000 a pound. So um, that's going to be the process is, is whether it's easy, easy and, acceptable and accessible to people and, and, and for that market to, to, to flourish, it needs to be. Um, so I, I expect that we're hopefully going to see a change in opt-outs. We're going to see more communities opt in um, simply because if you want a well-regulated market, you need it available. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try to compare it to when we re-regulated alcohol after prohibition. Um, the people that wrote those laws were people that consumed alcohol. And so that's why we have a liquor store or a bar on you know pretty much every street corner. I don't believe we'll ever have that with marijuana, but we need to get closer. Um, so really that is going to be how it plays out, I think, is, is whether, whether communities finally embrace the, the product or not. Um, I've been to, Calif- uh, to Colorado several times in the last couple of years. Um, it's sort of settled down there. Obviously, there's issues. Um, but I think Colorado kind of did it right. They, they did a slow rollout. Uh, they had certain provisions in place where you could only grow so much. And if you could prove that you could sell 80% of that product, then you could grow more. Uh, Michigan, we're not doing that. Um, but we'll see. So it's really going to be about supply. I think supply is going to be the most critical thing to the success of this industry. Um, so if supply can get online without being too overabundant, right, because you don't want it to be so overabundant that prices fall through the floor, mm-hmm. and then uh, we, which we've seen in Canada, and companies just start going out of business left and right, and then people are left with fewer choice and, and can easily return to the black market. Okay. Dustin Walsh who covers economic issues for Cranes Detroit Business, is always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about the state's new recreational pot market with an activist who has worked for years to liberalize cannabis laws here in Michigan. Attorney Matt Abel will join us next. Also, get going on the phones. Give us a call and tell us what you think of retail sales of recreational marijuana now being legal in the state of Michigan. Are you somebody who's excited about that? Are you somebody who's really worried about it and maybe don't think this is such a great idea? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about yesterday being the first day that retail sales of recreational marijuana 
have been legal here in the state of Michigan. Of course, we legalized recreational pot at the ballot box in 2018, but we have had to be waiting a little bit to get regulations in place and other things out of the way before retail sales would be okay. Uh, We want to hear from you today about your experience with this. Are you somebody who's really excited about the idea of being able to just go to the store and buy marijuana the way you buy other things without a medical license that you've had to have here in Michigan for a long time? Uh, Are you somebody who's excited about the idea of the economic opportunity that this might present in your community? Is there a business that you think you might open or someone you know might open to take advantage of this? Or are you somebody who's really skeptical of all of this and worried about not only the idea of these businesses in your community, but the idea of everyone being able to smoke marijuana uh, or otherwise indulge in uh, in recreational pot? Um, uh, are, are you worried about testing, for instance, the way that we might need to test drivers, for instance, uh, who might be under the influence? Are you worried about people at work being under the influence and what that might uh, what that might portend. Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag trade today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to continue the conversation about this milestone change here in our state is Matt Abel. He worked on the ballot campaign to legalize marijuana in Michigan. He's also a uh, longtime Detroit area marijuana advocate and attorney and executive director of the Michigan chapter of Normal. Matt, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yes, it's great to have you here. So I want to start with you just talking about this moment uh, as somebody who has worked for such a long time to liberalize marijuana laws here in Michigan. Most of that time you've been met with absolute frustration. Uh, I want to know what victory feels like. It's wonderful. It's really (laughs) nice to see things finally normalizing here in Michigan. Cannabis has been part of our society forever, and it always has been underground. Now it's nice to see it coming above ground. Um, So what's the most important thing for people to know as they're considering heading to one of these stores, buying marijuana and maybe going home and smoking it or buying an edible and going home and eating it? The rules are, are I think, less clear than they maybe could have been at this point. Well, um, the biggest rule is don't drive under the influence and uh, don't smoke in public. But um, my advice to people is to start low, start slow, sorry, <laughs> start low and go slow, um, where uh, especially edibles, um, there's no way to go back and and get it out of your system. And it takes at least an hour for it to, to take effect. Mm-hmm. And too many people have made the mistake, mistake of maybe having one gummy or one cookie, and then they don't feel anything. And half an hour later, they so eat another more. one, yeah. and then they're super high. And so we always recommend wait perhaps double the amount of time that's recommended because everyone is different and how your body processes it is not going to be the same. Yeah. And uh, for those people who used it years ago, boomers like me, um, I'm at the tail end of that generation, <laughs> but um, people who used it in college and who've been off for 30 years, it is stronger than it was. And so people need to be more careful about that. 
On the other hand, it we know a lot more about it. It's more clean than it was. Everything at the stores is laboratory tested and labeled, and so um, that's a big improvement. There are a whole variety of uh, methods um, and types of cannabis that are available from tinctures, which are liquids, and mints, and chocolate-covered coffee beans, uh, <laughs> gummy bears, um, and all the bud and pre-rolls and smoke and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to get to callers in a second, but I, I want to also get an idea from you of how you think we're doing with the public service or public education campaign that I think should attend this. I, I feel like this is a pretty dramatic shift in the way we live and sort of the culture here. And I, I think some of the things that you just raised about what people don't know is a, a result of us not being able to talk as upfront as about this as we as we should be for for, for many years, but also the, the the short period of time I guess we've had to be able to to conduct that kind of public education campaign. Uh, I, I wonder, as an advocate, whether you feel like there's a coming shift, I guess, in some of your work or or, or people you work with to the idea of making sure that people know what they're doing. Well, absolutely, and that's one of the things we're looking at putting together are some informational pieces that could be available at dispensaries so that the general public is more aware of how to deal with this. It is very important. We don't want this to get off on the wrong foot, and so um, we'd like people to enjoy it but not overdo it. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We get a lot of folks who want to talk about this issue. Let's start with Karen on the east side. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, just my opinion, how sad and pathetic even this gentleman, what he's saying, that it's okay to be high ever. I love my neighborhood. But I can see it being detrimental. My daughter, who's a regional graduate of high school, already told me about children long before this came about uh, consuming the edibles in high school. This is so sad, so hmm. pathetic that society has sunk to this level to think it's okay to be high. I don't even want anybody checking me out at the cash register. I should have the option to say whether I want you serving me if you use marijuana. I think mm. that ought to be two separate lines. People that want to be high, okay, <laughs> you want them to wait on you. And the people that are not uh, under the influence of uh, a drug. Right, everybody else goes somewhere somewhere else. Uh, Karen, I, I, before I have Matt respond to what you're saying, I, I want to ask you whether, if or I guess ask you to explain why you have such a visceral reaction to this and how you might distinguish that from things like, for instance, alcohol. I mean, the idea of being high seems to really offend you. I wonder what it is about that that does that and whether you have maybe the same feelings about alcohol or other intoxicants. Well, I don't think alcohol is okay. okay. I don't think you should be high on anything. Why do you find it necessary to have something to alter your behavior? It's ridiculous. We already have enough challenges in my community. We do not need 
more drugs yeah. in my community at all. Yeah, Karen, that's a... My daughter told me about children that were excluded or put out of school because they had consumed edibles. Right. That's, that's pathetic. Karen, I, I, I really appreciate your call and and your point of view. And I got to say, as someone who lives in Detroit and, you know, knows what, what challenges we face in lots of different neighborhoods, I have a little bit of a pause, too, about the idea of legalization and the, the, the kind of encouragement it might uh, bring with it about people getting high and, you know, losing focus on the things that they need to focus on in their lives. So uh, I, I may not go to the extent that you do here and, and, and agree with you 100 percent, but but I hear what you're saying. So I really appreciate the call. Uh, Matt Abel, respond to what Karen is uh, concerned about here. Well, cannabis has been in our society forever. People have always wanted to change their consciousness through any kind of plants or um medication. And so that's no different. With us writing this so it's only available at stores to people 21 and over, we believe that it better protects children by putting it behind the counter where people are going to check ID rather than have it be available through the informal market uh, where there is no ID checked. In addition, cannabis is a safer substitute than most of the things that it substitutes for. It's much safer than alcohol and certainly safer than opiates. And so on the one hand, the more cannabis there is in a society, it's not like we're adding drugs. We're substituting uh, safer substances for others which are more harmful. So, so you say safer, safer than alcohol, safer than opiates. Expand on that, on that idea. What do you mean when you say that? Well, there is no LD50, which is the lethal dose that will kill half of the people. Um, there is no LD50 for cannabis. The joke is that the only way marijuana can kill you is if a ton of it falls on you. Um, and so um, we've seen that in states that have legal marijuana, not just legal marijuana, but access to legal marijuana, that overdoses and deaths from opiates are reduced. But the important thing is not to just have it uh, legal, but to have it available. And we're not quite at that point yet in Michigan. It will take several months for this to ramp up and maybe a couple of years. It's mm. hard to say at this point. Yeah. Again, Karen, really appreciate the call and your perspective. Let's go to Chris in Berkeley. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. So I, I just wanted to state that cannabis is a substance, it's not a drug, and I appreciate that caller as well, but it's very hard to change people's minds. Uh, the facts I wanted to bring to the call were the benefits that communities actually gain from allowing this within their community. Uh, every dollar spent in a dispensary leads to $2.50 spent elsewhere in that community, and the reduction in crime. So 17 fewer crimes per community where a cannabis dispensary opens up. So there are a ton of benefits as well as regulation and, you know, ridding the black market and illegal substances that do not test, mm. uh, pass tests. So there's a lot of great that comes with this. And, you know, I, there's a lot of opinion that comes with this as well. I just hope people use facts instead yeah. of their opinion to sure. make decisions. Uh, Chris, uh, tell me, and I, I, I'm sorry I don't remember, was Berkeley one of the communities that had the dispensary question on the ballot this fall? They approve, and they're opting in for adult use and recreational cannabis. 
uh, in medical and, and adult use in Berkeley. That was one of the things you guys voted on this fall. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, well, okay. Okay. I didn't. I didn't remember that. So. Um, uh, that's interesting. And, and, and are you somebody, did you, obviously you went and voted yes. Be there, Chris. Yeah, I'm a business owner in Berkeley. Okay. But my partners did vote who are residents of Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chris, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments, uh, that, that, that idea that this is a benefit to communities who decide to sell somewhat controversial. I mean, here in Detroit, there's a lot of people who say, listen, these shops, the medical shops have almost all been concentrated in our community. They're in neighborhoods where there are children. There are neighborhoods that are struggling otherwise. Chris makes uh, an opposite case for his communities. Talk about that impact, though, of having a recreational marijuana shop on the corner around the corner, on a street around the corner from a school, for instance. Well, each one of these shops brings 10 to 20 jobs. And one thing that we often hear as a concern is that it's going to reduce residential property values. But studies from Denver have shown that real estate uh, homes within half a mile of a dispensary are increased in value by 4%. And those within the nearest quarter mile of a dispensary increase in value 7%. So it actually increases property values, it provides jobs, and certainly it's going to provide some tax revenue. And that tax revenue, though, goes to the state and not the local community at this point. It's one of the things I actually hope we'll start revisiting at some point. Is there a way to help local communities benefit directly from the revenue. Well, there is, Stephen. There's a 10% tax on recreational marijuana, Mm -hmm. and of that, 15% of that will go directly to the communities communities. based on the proportion of stores, retail stores, which they have in their community as as opposed to statewide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, uh, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Chris, let's go to Kimberly in South Lyon. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for your time. I actually am a medical marijuana card holder. And Mm -hmm. before I went ahead and got my card, I did a lot of research because I was going on. And I wanted to know that this was going to be something that was helpful. Um, One of the things that I found in my research was actually that CBD products counteract THC products. So if you have too much THC in your system, you can simply take a CBD product and be have less of that mental effect mm. so that you can be coherent so that you don't have to have that anxiety that the THC can bring on. Mm. And I think that people really need to be educated before they start consuming marijuana at a medical or recreational level. I'd really like hospitals to start supplying CBD products for themselves so that when people come in anxious on this product that they can calm them down but it really just comes down to education yeah i i agree with you kimberly and we were just discussing the idea that we haven't done a great job i think as a state making sure that people really know what the options are what the effects are what the lasting effects are of these things so that they're ready to be able to do that uh, we, we've moved pretty quickly actually since the vote last year 
to the point where we're going to allow retail sales. So we do have we do have some work to do there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about recreational marijuana. We're going to keep Matt Abel with us, and we will get to more of your calls. Michelle in Washington Township, Mark and Chelsea, John on the east side, Vernon in Auburn Hills. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've tuned in. We're talking this hour about the beginning of retail sales for recreational marijuana here in the state of Michigan. They began today, uh, yesterday actually, December 1st, and uh, they mark yet another iteration in our journey toward uh, drug legalization, at least at the level of marijuana here in the state of Michigan. We voted last year to make recreational pot legal. Now we're starting to see that come online. We want to hear from you, though, what you think about all of this. Are you somebody who's excited about the prospect of recreational marijuana being available? Are you somebody excited about the idea of stores that sell recreational marijuana being in your community, or are you concerned about all of this? I uh, think maybe it's heading us in the wrong direction as a state. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also join us on Facebook or on Twitter, and we will try to work you into the conversation. I've got Matt Abel. He's a Detroit area marijuana advocate and attorney, executive director of the Michigan chapter of Normal. He worked on both campaign to both campaigns to legalize marijuana in Michigan. He is here with us as well. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the lady that called earlier that said she didn't want potheads working on her car. and uh, But my thinking is whenever they relax uh, any prohibitions like gambling or whatever, people people are uncomfortable with it, and it is a free country. But the reason I called is I have friends that are bar owners and own hotels and uh, in the restaurant business. One of their largest expenses is federal tax on alcohol. And they are at a tremendous disadvantage because – there is no federal tax on marijuana. And uh, your guest earlier said that the FDA does not regulate it. <clears throat> there is no fe- federal oversight. So uh, my thinking is I, 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 I'm in the corner of the bar owners that, uh, that are at a disadvantage. They, they, they are, the marijuana people do not have to pay any federal tax. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it's something that should be addressed. Hmm. Uh, great point, um, Vernon, and I'm glad you called and made it. Matt Abel, respond to that, this this mismatch between now state law and federal law, which has not changed. And so marijuana and the sale of it and the distribution of it, even the growing of it, is still illegal from the f- perspective of the federal government. Well, Stephen, I agree that cannabis should be legalized at the federal level. There's been a proposal, I believe it's in the Moore Act, that has uh, 5% federal tax. I have no objection to that. We have to be careful not to make the taxes so high that it 
uh, stimulates the illegal market. The lower the taxes are, uh, the closer the illegal market and the legal market will be in price. The other thing is there, CBD is all the rage these days, but the Food and Drug Administration has been putting out memos and uh, slapping the hands of any companies which are advertising any type of health benefits from it or using it as a food additive. And that needs to be studied and regulated um, in a proper way. Uh, we've only done studies about the harms of cannabis. We haven't done much in the United States in the way of the benefits of cannabis. Mm. And so there is some way to go here. Um, Senator Peters and Senator Stabenow, I hope you're listening. We need to legalize cannabis federally. I, we're, we're not close to that, however. I mean, the, no, we're not. The, there, is no, there is no momentum at that level. And I, that, I guess that's one of the things that kind of concerns me is that there's this gap that exists and that leads to confusion, perhaps on some people's parts, but it also leads to regulatory problems. Absolutely. And uh, we're seeing that in hemp now. Uh, things that are below 0.3% THC are defined as hemp, which is not marijuana. Marijuana is now the stuff that will get you high and hemp is the stuff that will not. Although people are now growing hemp uh, supposedly to extract CBD, but I think the best source of CBD is a high THC marijuana, not hemp. Um, so there is a long way to go. And there are um, nearly 100 other cannabinoids that need to be studied as well. Okay. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Michelle in Washington Township. Michelle, what's on your mind? Good morning, Steve, and thanks for my call. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ann Arbor is quite a hike for me, not very convenient, and I don't think my municipality is going to be on board anytime soon. So, Matt, what are the rules regarding growing plants in my backyard for my own personal consumption? I mean, I can do, I can make wine at home legally mm -hmm. by crushing grapes mm -hmm. and letting them ferment. So what are the rules or the laws about that? Great question, Michelle. Matt Abel, if you want to sure. grow your own, mm -hmm. what are the rules? Well, any adult is allowed to grow 12 plants in their own residence or on their own property where they reside with a maximum of 12 plants per household. And if the plants are grown outside, there is a requirement that they not be visible from any public place. And um, so it is possible so to grow your own your cannabis. your basement, for instance, would be a fine place to do that. Absolutely. But your yard... Would not be. Well, it's fine as long as you can screen the plants so that they're not visible to the public. I think anyone growing would want to do that anyway to prevent theft. But as the price comes down, as the quantity goes up and the price comes down and it starts to normalize, it shouldn't be as precious as it has been in the past. Mm. Uh, one problem is for people who live in an apartment where their landlord will not allow them to grow, uh, people who own their own home, have the right to make that decision, but people who are tenants do not. So there's some unfairness there. And speaking of unfairness, we need to go back and expunge the records of people who have been convicted of marijuana crimes, things that were illegal that now are legal. Yeah, that, that that's a nice segue to the next caller. John on the east side is also really concerned about mass incarceration. John, go ahead. Thanks for including me in this uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. I just and I also want to speak to 
I would rather have these shops on Jefferson Avenue than on my residential streets. Uh, this is this is the way to go. Uh, this has been a bad law for a hundred years, and uh, you know if you really look at the history of it, it wasn't even about the drug. It was about the people that were perceived to be using the drug, who happened to be Mexicans, and it, it's just been ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, to to disrupt so many lives over something that's definitely not as as dangerous as a lot of other things out there. Yeah, uh, John, I appreciate the call and the and the thoughts. Uh, Matt, you know, Abel, the thing about Jefferson yeah, Avenue, Stephen, uh-huh. is that the city has written an ordinance here in Detroit where no dispensaries are allowed on Gateway Radial Thoroughfares, which are Gratiot, Grand River. Woodward, Michigan Avenue, and Jefferson. And on Jefferson Avenue, they're not allowed between 375 and Waterworks Park. Uh, So the only place we're going to have them on Jefferson is out nearly to Gross Point. And I think it's a mistake for the city to write an ordinance that says you can't have them on any gateway radio thoroughfares or in any of the overlay districts. Um, And there needs to be a public hearing soon. We've heard rumblings that the city council in Detroit, which has passed a moratorium until Mm -hmm. the end of January on this issue, that they're working on ordinances, but we haven't seen any drafts of any of those ordinances. So Councilman Tate, if you're listening, uh, let's see the draft and let's have some hearings so that we can discuss this openly and not have it um, just thrust on us at the last moment. Yeah, Councilman Tate is someone who's expressed a lot of concern, for instance, about dispensaries, where they are, how they affect neighborhoods, and has said that he's one of the people who's working, I guess, on all of these changes, these new ordinances that they would like to have. But they're working on them behind the scenes without any public input from stakeholders, Mm. both for and against. Mm. Okay. Uh, Up next is Keith. Novi, Keith, I've only got about a minute left, but uh, I want to get you in here. Hey, how's it going? Sure. Um, so my comment was uh, on the tax question. The guy was calling about the bars earlier that it was a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I think the federal statute actually indicates that you have to pay taxes on all proceeds, whether legal or uh, illegal. So whether or not uh, the federal government recognizes marijuana as a legal business or not, they are still responsible. To you still got to pay taxes. taxes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yep. Keith, that's a great point. I'm glad you called. Uh, to make that. Um, okay, Matt Abel, Detroit area marijuana advocate and attorney, executive director of the Michigan Chapter of Normal. It's great to have you here for this conversation. We'll see how this all unfolds over the next few months. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. Hope you will too. It will be Giving Tuesday, and we're going to talk about nonprofit news. Is it the future of journalism as so many traditional media sources really struggle? to stay afloat. And we'll talk about how the news might be making some of us sick. That's all tomorrow when we come back. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.